Alhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala Welcome everybody to Welcome back I should say To the Safina Society Nothing But Facts Live stream after a November That had a long break And I was away early in November Then we had a break later on And then we had our Umrah break And we're back after a long And now we're headed to the long stretch this is like the long, the long haul, which is always from New Year's all the way for, to spring break, which is really to be the month of Ramadan. And we have a number of segments today. Which segment do we want to do first? Uh, we, let's, let's do our update on the Umrah first, because that was basically the, um, the reason for that long break. But I'm telling you, it was so worth it. These youth and these kids had such uh, an amazing trip, and they were great. I thought to myself, are they going to horse around? Are they going to fool around? But I'll tell you what happened is that they didn't do any of that. They were so primed, and I became so happy because I think the reason that they were all primed like this was because throughout the year, we're always talking. And you think that they're not paying attention, right? But I think stuff was actually settling in, right? Um... Subhanallah, it's so funny that since we all shaved our heads and we're talking about shaving our heads, all my ads are about hair. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, all the talk about shaving heads and, and all the advertisements I'm getting here are about like, oh, get your hair back and all that stuff. Alhamdulillah. But these youth, they were they were in it. They were all. Nobody had to do any bit of running around, chasing after them or anything like that. They were all in it. They were great from the get-go. And when I say great, what I mean by that is they're expressions of ibadah and they're totally being engaged was impressive. When you, when you see a youth that's engaged in ibadah, it puts out the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what Habib Ubaidullah said. Uh, and I believe he quoted a hadith that the, the, the youth overcoming all their shahwats and all everything that, that, that comes with youth and the insanity of youth, right? It, uh, it's impressive to see. Some of these youth were doing so much salah that we actually had to wait. And me and, um, me and like Yusuf Chuck at one point, we had to wait like 15, 20 minutes. Kid in, but to see one of these kids in sajda right in front of the Kaaba. You know, like right behind Maqam Ibrahim or that area where they let us pray. It was so impressive to see and it really moved, it was moving. And uh, they were all in on shaving their heads after the Umrah, although you can shorten too. And for someone, if people do Umrah a lot, then they usually shorten. And Hajj is the big one where you shave. If you can, by the way, some people can't shave. They have irritations on their on their, on their their heads. But in any event... Uh, I, I personally was not planning to shave. I was planning just to shorten. And then they came in. I saw 20 of them all sitting. See that top picture there? All 20 of them were sitting there, and they're about to take a picture. I was like, all right, let me get in on this picture. And they, right there they said, hey, we're all shaving. Are you shaving? All right? And they said, we'll all shave if you shave. And I was like, well, if you're all going to shave, then I'm shaving. Right? And well, they, that was like a big kick for them. They had a big, uh, it was, it, it was a big, big deal to them. So, we all then went, uh, it's like 2 in the morning, right? And like, what other situation are you going to be out where you're out with 20 youth at 2 in the morning, 
looking to get your head shaved, right? That's that's what the dean does. It puts you in situations where uh, you would never be in these situations otherwise. So w- without the command of Allah and doing these sunnah and these ibadat. So we end up uh, going out there and uh, walking around and looking for a place and we all got... B- uh, uh, and I negotiated a deal. I said to the guy, oh, with 25 guys here, right? You're not going to get cost price. You're going to give us a discount. He gave us a nice royal discount, 70 yards a pop, right? Be- 70 yards a pop because I think he had to actually keep his employee... Uh, uh, his his workers there and they wanted to leave it's two in the morning right we get all of our heads shaved at two in the morning they're all taking pictures and everything and we took the second picture that second picture is in uh the mall it's not a mall it's like a dingy little old mall right it's like an old shopping center and then um we're 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 tired we're then I was like, all right, let's get out the food. Everyone made different orders. We took all the tables in the mall and put all the tables together. We had two habaib with us, two Yemeni guys, shabab, young guys. They went off and they got Yemeni food, right? Uh, we had a Lebanese brother. We had a Lebanese brother. Jawad, salam. This Lebanese brother went and got fruit for, all, for, for a bunch of people. Jawad, what's happening, man? How's it going? Good. Uh, thank you, man. I mean, thank you. How, how's this turban looking? I know you haven't tied in a turban in a long time. So this, uh, uh, we got some fruit, and we just spent basically until 4 a.m. Uh, uh, eating all of us. Um, next day, of course, we were shot, exhausted. But at what other time are you going to sit around with a bunch of guys from 2 to 4 a.m., right, in a random mall? And that's what... That's what the ibadat of the deen does to people, right? It, it makes you, puts you in a situation. You would never have been in this situation before. We did another uh, umrah afterwards. Some youth wanted to do another umrah. I ended up going with a smaller group. Also going deep into the night. And then they got the KFC kick. Because you know the hotel there is right by the KFC. And, uh, and they're like, all right, fine, let's do this KFC. Whatever, at that point, when they showed that enthusiasm... At that point, anything they had asked, I would have given it to them, right? You want to go to KFC, I'll eat it. You want to go to McDonald's, I'll go with you, right? Whatever it was. And uh, at that point, because of the amount of conversations that we had that made me even more happy. And, and I felt, I think that people out there who are just like who don't have kids or who maybe live in some remote areas, I'm telling you, there's a lot of bad in the Ummah, but there's so much more good. And to see these kids, they overcome all the stuff, the garbage that they're dealing with. But their minds are there and sharp, and the dean is, is simple enough for them to understand, and they're in it. they complete buy-in. And I, I, I honestly think it's the thicker nights. When they come to thicker nights, they may look like they're sort of there, not there. But that's, I think, just the expression of teenagers. Like, their face is not always expressive. And they don't always talk. But they're in it, and this proved that they had a total buy-in, right? And that was, to me, that's the, the point. And this thing is a program now. Umrah for Youth is an operation. And it's going to be something that whether it's, I want to lead it, of course, I'd love to lead them. But uh, pra- for practicalities purposes, there may be other teachers. And what is no, is like one person who can engage with the youth? No, anybody can engage the youth, right? Anyone whose heart is sincere, has some basic common sense, hopefully some experience with teenagers, right 
uh, has like some terbiya in deen, he can go and lead these youth and they'll follow. They want to learn. Like they love the conversations. So we had some situations where we had, for example, three of us, like me, Alian, Yusuf Chuck, Habib, and one youth. So he's outnumbered. He's as engaged as everybody else. He's just thinking he might not know some words, but he's thinking about it and he's involved. Even when they're like um, daydreaming off, they're still listening. And then you, they, they ask, ask a question. So I remember when I was young, when I was in high school, the, in middle school even before that, but mainly in high school, it was like an awesome thing just to be with the college guys. You always wanted, I always wanted to be with them. And I never knew what they were saying half the time, but I was interested. And whatever I picked up, I remember. There was one, one of them, he had memorized Surah Al-Baqarah. I thought that was the most... Biggest, that was the biggest achievement, right? And I looked up to him a lot. Another one went to Syria. So to have those college type of college kids around, that ratio of like one to four, let's say, for every four youth to have one college kid. And we also, it was so important to have some sisters who had knowledge. And we did have a sister that had knowledge there. And she was helped me manage the whole operation, right? She was a mahram, so nobody should think anything. Uh, not even a mahram, right? <laughs> But nobody should think anything. But it was, uh, she helped me manage the whole thing, right? So uh, it was uh, it's so important to have a woman there uh, be with the sisters, answer their questions, because they come up with different questions that are private, right? And, and they need someone to talk to. And so it's very important for, from the, um, the leaders of these trips that there be like a husband, wife, or a brother and sister, from the from the from the older crowd, be, to be able to translate, right, and to talk freely without without worry about situations. So that was extremely important, and I thank that sister for for doing that, and she was um, she was vital. So we did have, in the, although the picture was all guys, because that's the drastic thing going from hair to not hair, but it was um, the uh, it was uh, the sisters were there, the teenage sisters were there with enough like mahrams, like like two or three. One of them had her brother, one of them had her mom, and one of them was a little bit older, right, and was almost like, um, you know, somebody who was between youth and adult. So we had a couple sisters there too, and it was important for them to go. And they all come with that nur and that experience and come back and mingle with their friend groups again. And that encourages another group to come. So Ryan, the, the youth nights that you do, is really like a, a feeder program to this, yeah. right? It should be something that they go in, they're going to, you know, share, share, they're going to talk about it, of course, and they'll all go, inshallah, in the future. So next December, we're already planning to do it again. It's going to be 60. Um, hold on, no. It's going to be about 45. 45 to 50. One bus. Keep it simple. One bus, right? One bus, um... Same plane, same bus, everything the same. And we'll have, let's say, 40 youth and 10 um, adults. And that should be perfect, right? So that, that's the update on, uh, on our youth Umrah trip, which was extremely important, extremely uh, beneficial for them. And, and, and I, they were totally engaged with it. And it was something you should be proud of, really. You, if you saw them, you feel like the Ummah has a lot of khair in the Ummah. And we also took them to Shiyukh. Some of them saw Habib Kadim. Some of them, all of them saw Habib Ubaidullah. 
he made a lunch. He he said Habib Abdullah, who's the father-in-law of Habib Omar, in Mecca. He said, he said to me, this was like really like, made me happy. He said, you're the first one to do this, Omar for youth. He's like, I've, I get guests all the time. No one's ever done this. Like all youth, right? So he's like, congratulations. So I was really happy that he said that. And then he made a a whole like lambs multiple with on beds of rice these kids have been eating like any any eating out the whole time they backspace that food highlight delete on all that food right they were just devoured it all right and then he gave him a little talk then after that there was a private gathering because for certain purposes he couldn't have big gatherings with um muhammad saqaf Habib Muhammad Sokaf in Jeddah. So we met three shiuch. I think meeting the shiuch is very important for them too. They got to meet the shiuch. When we go, inshallah, we got to meet the shiuch. So the way it's going to work is that at around uh, every, uh, 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 every once in a, closer to the time, we will start the fundraising campaign again. And from now on, the fundraising is going to go 25% of every fundraiser to an endowment. It's not efficient to raise the funds and spend it every single time but it is necessary in the beginning right so people could see results so the quarter of every fundraising we do for Omara for youth is going to go to an endowment that endowment is going to be like to buy apartments in a cheap area where the the difference the margins are greater than let's say new jersey where costs are high so i think south jersey for example the margins are much better Right, and so we're going to do that. We'll probably maybe use some of the um, some of the guys who are in this business. I'll say make a folder for us, right? And they'll take a management fee, and the rent they'll manage it, no headache, eight percent management fee, whatever. And the, those revenues will feed back into the endowment until the endowment's big enough that it's sending off, like it's producing two umras a month. That's the goal. Imagine that. So 24 uh, a year. And then all the fundraising will then be for the endowment. And then it will just feed itself. Right? Because when you have shiuch, when you have people who are working, they also, they're not going to pay the full umrah fee. Right? And half of, a, half of a, the youth can afford it. They'll pay themselves. But it's for those who can't afford it. Right? That's the whole point of this operation. So uh, a brother is saying, what's an endowment? An endowment is that you take, you take a lot of money and you put the money into a revenue-producing operation, such as apartments. The rent goes to the cause. Okay, that's what an endowment is. Instead of every time I, I f- fundraise from the people and spend the money right away, you fundraise, you put it in something that produces a revenue, and then that revenue is what goes to the cause. That's a smarter way of doing it. Okay. So it's a, it's a waqf, yes. And uh, in Maghrib, they used to call that a hopes. Okay, segment number two of our live stream. I got a little gift in the mail. Okay, guess what our, our gift is? I didn't even open it. I wanted to, I want, I wanted to have a natural reaction. The Quran beheld. Sheikh Nuh's translation. First of all, it's very heavy. Right? It's very heavy. It's, it's not a, some flimsy book. You know when Sheikh Nuh is going to produce a work, it's going to the, the, it's gonna be very well-researched, and it's going to be something that 
it's almost like a prize you're going to put on yourself. And when you read it, you're going to reread it very carefully. Because a lot of effort goes into his works. Okay. All right. So here is the book. Wow. Look at this. It's like the old fashioned leather of the old Tefasir. Here is the work. Very thick. Okay. You can see my fingers going across here. And it simply says the Quran beheld. And he always uses one of these little type of uh, thingies in the middle. And it is the same. Uh, text and appearance as all his other books. Okay. Huh? It's a beautiful red binding here. And it's got two bookmarks. So you are doing two different readings, I guess, because the Quran has multiple readings. First of all, there's the reading of, of, of Ibadah, where you just read. Then there's the reading of Tadabur, where you're just contemplating. And then there's the reading of Tafsir, right? Where you're reading actual Tafsir. Okay. So uh, the Instagrammers are saying, we can't see it. Here it is for the Instagrammers. This is how it looks. It's pretty big. And it's got some text on the back. Let me read to you what it says on the back. This work solves an enigma that has puzzled many readers, first coming to Islam through English translations of the Quran. By the way, I never recommend anyone who's a new Muslim to, to get a translation of the Quran. It's almost very, really hard to read. They do get benefit, but at the same time, uh, uh, Sirah is better because Quran it is not always easy to follow along, right? So I tell them to read Sirah. Uh, now I don't even give people books; I give them an, a, a link. We have a link with all the links, YouTube playlists, and that tends to be even more beneficial these days. Okay, the Arabic original stunned hearers. Okay, with its unutterable evocative power. Incisive arguments, sharp relief of its contrasts, striking imagery, and precise details. Detail. Most translations stun few. Okay. They seem out of focus, vague. The thread of discourse is often lost, and they are seldom moving or powerful. The present work is called the Qur'an Beheld because its translator found that the classical Islamic curriculum for learning the Qur'anic sciences lifts the veil from the divine masterpiece like stepping from a dark and silent house into a lively spring day outside. Could you please plug this bad boy in for me? Everything changes. He says, a preface outlines the Qur'an's continued relevance for readers today. An introduction describes the time-honored Qur'anic teaching paradigm an interpretive method of talaqi, one-on-one instruction, by which the translator studied the Qur'an with a traditional scholar in Jordan during the 15 years of the work. And, and the, the, those lessons are actually online. And I listened to some of them. They're really good. He put his own lessons online. The two went word by word through the Qur'an together, twice, in the light of its great exegetes, okay, or the imams of tafsir, such as Tabari, Zamakhshari, Abu Saud, Ibn Ashur, Al-Razi, Al-Alusi, and others. The introduction explains seven key areas of meaning, ubiquitous throughout the Qur'an, not incorporated by any previous translation. Such gaps have, been, have prevented serious apprehensions of many of the themes, logic, and arguments that carry the message of the Qur'an surahs forward. Okay? And this is how it work, looks 
So you could actually do a recitation of the Quran because it's pretty big. You see that? You could actually recite from it. It's not like some of the other tafsir where the Quran is a tiny little bit small in the top corner. So you could actually recite the Quran from this and then and it's following it appears to me that it is following the pagination of the Medina Mushaf and Allah knows best. Right? In you know the Medina Mushaf where it stops at every page. That's to me what it looks like. So it's the following it's it's ending at every page. And then the index looks exactly like the Reliance of the Traveler index. It's exactly like twenty nine point five point F like that. That's what it's looking like. Um and then this is the this is to me the hardest part. I it appears to me that the translation is literally line by line, such that if I if I have a question on line five, I go down to almost the same area. It's not exactly like that because the English text is smaller, but it's close enough. So it should be what my point is that it's very easy to use. The translation is, seems like it's very easy to use. You don't have to go look. Do you ever read a sharh of hadith? Like some of these publications. Sharh Sahih Muslim. The sharh is down here. You have no clue what he's doing sharh of. Right? You know what I mean? Like you read a hadith. Where is the sharh? It's like all over the place. Because the publishers had trouble. It's not easy to publish a sharh of something. Uh, and the translation is also not that easy. So... This is uh, something where you could read it and it's a straight translation. There's no tafsir, but the essays are extremely important. Okay? Uh, the essays are very, very useful in tafsir. Uh, uh, the essays about tafsir are very, very useful, very important too. Uh, let me check something out really quick. I want to see how he translates something. Um, here, I'm going to ask you to open up for me a, a, a section, a, a page, and I want to see how it's translated. Not like I'm checking him or anything, but I just want to see how it's translated. Um, yes, exactly. And he's a regular Ahl Sunnah. Go to Surah Ali Imran, verse 85. Surah number three, verse eighty-five. Um, yes. How is it translated? So what I picked up is, is one of the verses I usually go to first when, when I read a tafsir. And that is the verse that states, that asks the, it says, whoever chooses other than Islam as a religion. And generally, translators that uh, maybe have, like I don't know, some non-Muslim component to the publishing, they put it as submission, right? They translate it as whoever chooses submission. Okay. 
And he also chooses that. He says, whoever seeks anything but complete submission to Allah as a religion. And he does not say, uh, as in the religion of Islam. He's, he translates it here as, and whoever seeks anything but complete submission to Allah as a religion. Which I always find it strange because his submission is not a religion. Right? Unless there's a meaning here that's mahdhuf. Like, um, as a religion, or the definition of a religion being a way of approaching the deen. Through complete submission. Meaning, I accept this part, I don't accept that part. So that must be the meaning. Alright, the other one I want to go take a look at is... In terms of this is on the Aqidah side of things. And that is in Surah Sa'd, verse 75. Okay, so let's go to Surah Sa'd, which is around 38. Surah number 38, verse 75. And this will be from the Mutashabihats. So let's see how we translate the Mutashabihats. 38, verse 75. And he translates that as follows oh satan what prevented you from bowing down to that which i created by my own my my own hands are you too haughty or exalted so he translated as the dhahir exactly as the the verses so this is what i'm going to be reading from personally i'm going to leave it here at dar al-fatih for the shabab to look at if i come and find it wrinkled or a corner bent i'm, I'm cutting off fingertips <laughs> Take a look at that. Pass it to Ryan. He can take a look at it. Uh, Ryan, give me a second real quick. I got to run downstairs real quick. I'll be right back. You guys can talk. Ryan, why don't you tell us about the minna? Tell everyone about the minna. I actually didn't go to this. Oh, you didn't go with them? No, I didn't go. Alhamdulillah, I was back. Bismillah. All right. So right, while we're reading, let's just do a reading from uh, Surah Ali Imran. Translation. Read the translation. The House of Imran. In the name of Allah, most merciful and compassionate. Alif, Lam, Mim. Allah, no God is there but He, the living, the everlasting source of all being. He has truly sent down the book unto you with entire truth, confirming what was before it and sent down the Torah and the Gospel not so long before as a guidance to men, and sent down the sole final criterion. Verily, those who deny the verses of Allah shall have an unsparing chastisement, and Allah is inv invincible, unparalleled in vengeance. Truly, Allah is He from whom not the slightest bit is hidden in the earth or sky. It is He who forms you in wombs, however He wills. No God is there but He. The invincibly powerful and all-wise. It is he who has sent you down the book. Some of its verses are unmistakably plain, which are the basis of the book, while others are subtle of understanding between nuances. As for those whose hearts is 
perverseness, they pursue only the subtle of it, seeking to sow doubts and seeking to interpret it as they please, while no one knows its true interpretation but Allah and those firmly grounded in its knowledge. They say we believe in it. Each of these kinds of verses is from our Lord, yet none remember and heed but those of insight and mind. Studio, passes to Ryan, Sukkari and Ajwa. That's the best. Sukkari, dates and Ajwa, these are the best. Number three, look at we got from Australia also. Kiswa from the Kaaba. I'm going to read the, uh, the note because he, he said there was a card, but the card didn't get sent. So I can read it. For these? Yeah. Go. I can't do the, the Aussie accent for the whole thing, though. I wish I could. From Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good, thanks, man. Salams, Sheikh Shadi. From your Arcview students in Australia, Fasim Talib and Sara Muhammadin. Allahu Akbar. Thank you for all you, the amazing things you do for us. Please accept the small gifts that you will receive from us as a token of our appreciation. May your life be filled with light, knowledge, Ameen. goodness, Ameen. and Allah's blessings, and may you be a light to the world. Amen. Amen. Such a beautiful dua, and uh, the most important thing is the dua of the people. And I remember Sheikh Said Ramadan Buti, or interview with him. Someone said, "You've written everything. You've covered everything. Why? Why do you need to write more books?" He said, "Someone out there has never seen this before, and you never know what kind of dua you might get on that person from that person." Those dots are, but look what they sent us. Cloth from the Rauda, from Medina. This, uh, it's very special. This is not a small gift at all. Kiswa from the Kaaba. Of course, you're going to see it on camera as all black, but if you look closely, you could see the pattern. Kiswa of the Kaaba. And then the frame. The picture frames match. That's what I was about to say. I know. The picture picture frame. It looks like it's... it's uh, they thought that through. And then this is a print of the letter of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Of course, written, he dictated it, and it was written by the companions. If you want to know what how the companions wrote Arabic, this is how it looks. No, they're downstairs. It was a bit big for you to bring. Oh, we can bring it up tomorrow. And for the Instagrammers, this is what the Kiss with the Kaaba gift looks like. And this is the... From Medina, cloth from Medina. Yeah, they when they renew it, they give it out as gifts, and somehow it trickles down to us lowly commoners. At some point, the last gift is a gift for myself for burning oud. See this gun? I got a gun now. Uh, why isn't it working? <coughs> It's supposed to stay. Oh, there he goes. Why isn't it staying? Not enough butane or what? This is for our lighting our oud. Now we don't have to go downstairs to the... Up. The butane's out. Here. They sold us an empty thing. The guy sold me an empty thing. It has no butane in it. Let's read from our Shemet and now. Segment nu numero... What are we on? Segment numero four. So we talked the Umrah update, we did the Qur'an beheld, little gifts that we had, and now we shift and we, we move from that to remind everyone to be a supporter of this live stream at patreon.com backslash or forward slash Safina Society. 
Patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. That's how you could support this live stream and, and help us out. And I'm going to give you the assignment to light us our oud today. Put some of this stuff or that stuff. And here's the thingy. Yeah, if you can reach that. While I begin reading from the Shema of a Tirmidhi on this, this Tuesday in New Jersey where it's raining. It's been raining all morning. It's been raining all day. And, um, huh? Inshallah ta'ala, it's beneficial rain, and rain can be a rahmah too. Uh, as the storm was a punishment, but light rain and light drizzles are always a rahmah. We are on chapter 50 of the Shema'il of Sayyid al Kaunain alayhi, after salatu al-Salaam. Babu ma ja'a fi aishi and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The chapter on what came in the Living, how did the Prophet live? Muhammad ibn Sirin says, Kunna inda Abi Huraira. Muhammad ibn Sirin, of course, is the great Tabi'i who's famous for dream interpretation, but he was also a muhaddith and a faqih. He was much more than just a dream interpreter. And secondly, his book is, is not actually his, it's a compilation of things he said about dream interpretation. Just for your information. And it's not authenticated. It's not like you can say anything that's in that book is absolutely from Muhammad ibn Sirin. It's not. It's a, people rely upon it, but it's not 100% from him. He had two garments on, and they were striped. Okay, it appears. Let's see how it's translated here. Uh, they were made of kitan. It was a fine cloth. It was a good cloth. One was at the bottom. He wore it as a waist strap, and the other on top. And they were dyed in a reddish color. Okay. And he, but he cleaned his nose in one of them. Okay. And in surprise, said, "Allah, Allah, Abu Huraira is cleaning his nose today with a cloth of kitan." I'm imagining he's blowing his nose in it. So he's like rubbing his nose with it, like rubbed his nose on it, okay? He said, there was a time I was lying unconscious between the mimbar and the room of Aisha, which is what we call the rawda. The rawda is the area from the mimbar and the uh, room of Sayyid Aisha, okay? Because of severe hunger, I was rolling around. People thought I went insane and they just walked right over me. They thought I was had gone majnoon. Whereas I was not insane. I was just extremely, extremely hungry. Now, did the coal turn white? Black, then red, then white. At least red. At the very least red. doesn't have to be all red, but it'll get red. Okay. Okay. They thought I was insane. And I wasn't insane. It was nothing but hunger. Now let me tell you something about the Hujra and the Rawda. This, this reminded me of something I wanted to say about the Umrah if you go again. The Umrah has become very difficult for a Muslim now to get as close to the Kaaba or to the Rauda as it used to be. And for people who are 
who remember the old times, it's a bit, not upsetting, but it's like odd. You can no longer just walk into the bottom floor of the haram. You have to be in the haram and present a, a screenshot or a website, whatever on your phone that from the app that says that you have signed up for Umrah. Why? For crowd control purposes. Whether you accept that or not, whatever. That's a debate you could have all day. Why? Because they just had a 300,000 person rave in Riyadh. So why are you worried about uh, the crowds in the haram? Fine, whatever you want to discuss that. It's irrelevant because whether whatever we think won't matter. But what does matter is that the experience is very different. The experience, you, you, there was no such thing as a hassle to get in. You just went in. Same thing with the Rauda. You just go. In the latter, in the years previous to this, they had, you, you, stood, you stood online. You stood online in like a box of people. Not a physical box, but in a square. And they had like, I can't remember even what they had, like um, maybe like some movable barrier. And you're standing in a square of maybe 100 people. Then they move and there's multiple 100 people, 100 people, 100 people, 100 people. So they'll let them in the Rauda for 15 minutes and then they'll clear out the Rauda. Next batch, next batch, next batch. But you just walk in line, right? Now, you got to get an app. You download the app and then you put your visa number and you do all this headache. I never even did it, the Nusuk app. Right? It's just a headache. But when you go with a group, you automatically get one. After that, you have to go through the app. I was a, it's, it's a bit upsetting on the one hand. On the other hand, you do have to realize they do have to manage stampedes. They can't have people dying. They can't have the experience be so chaotic. So this is the lesser of two evils. Yet at the same time, a, a brother told me, it's harder to get into these great sites now which is just a reflection that it's harder to get into paradise. In the end of time, it's not easy to get into paradise, and that's reflecting here. It's not easy, and you can't just right away anymore just go touch the Kaaba anymore, as it used to be. It was like hawajas, hawajas, like barriers you have to overcome. And then the time is going to be limited. You're going to go in there, we got 15 minutes. Some of the sisters got 45 minutes. Some of the brothers got 40 Why? Because they went... At the end of the day, when there was no one left. So like the last group, boom, is, you know, they let them stay. So, so that's one thing I'm not going to say it's hating. And you notice my attitude towards Saudi is a bit different this time around. My note, my, then the Hajj rollout was something else. The Hajj rollout was just, there's no excuse for that. And that has nothing to do with you being Saudi. That just has to do with nobody rolls something out this big two months out. Like, oh, NFL, Roger Goodell says, hey, there's a new ticketing system for the Super Bowl. You want to get your Super Bowl tickets? You got to go through this website. Oh, okay, have you tested it? Maybe for a regular season game? No, we never tested it. So you're just going to roll it out right away, right? On a service of people who don't know anything about football because Motawaf, if you remember those people, they're Hindus, right? Not even a Muslim-owned company. Maybe the Muslim owned like 49% or 51% of it. That was un- inexcusable, right? But... This stuff, to me, I understand that the people were getting stampeded. The experience was almost dangerous for some people. So I understand they have to do management control. But one thing that really stood out for me is that 
I would say seven out of ten of all the guards and the workers were extremely nice and extremely polite. So much so that one guy who was there with his red ghutra and a brown abaya, jubba, whatever, bisht, okay, that we all know what the word bisht is now since Messi wore one, right? So that's what it's called. And he looks like he's from like a religious department or something. He has a nice beard and everything. That was the nicest guy I had ever seen working there. And he was making dua for brother, please, I understand you're trying to, you came from far away, but this is for the sisters, right? The sisters are now seeing, uh, come over on this side. Such adab and akhlaq you'd never seen before, right? And you remember, if you've ever been around the block, you've been to these umrahs being looked down on, being treated like garbage. And, you know, some of these, they're aqidah, they think you're a mushrik in the first place. That's the truth. The religious commanding right and forbidding wrong department, they're, with their aqidah, they hold most of the ummahs on shirk anyway, right? That is not there anymore. Like, you did not see that. Now they have regular soldiers, which is weird to see people in fatigues. They wear these blue and gray fatigues there. They're soldiers, which is a bit weird, but whatever. And here's the thing, the regular guys. They don't know nothing about aqidah, right? They don't know nothing about these Islamic groups. He's just monitoring traffic. And he'll be nice to you and not nice to you just based on what kind of day he's having and what kind of traffic there is, right? So you felt like you're talking to regular guys. You know, you didn't feel like this sort of um, harshness or roughness that made you feel upset, right? Or felt like looked look down upon. The women's testimony was as positive. Yes, that sometimes they were yelled at. Uh, Noah Saunders, we met Sheikh Noah Saunders there. He said that he had a discussion, he had an argument with the guy. And that guy pulled him aside. He said, you think I have something against you? I deal with 100,000 human beings a day, right? And we need to move traffic. So be forgiving of us too. So that kind of human relation with these guards was something that was new to me. And it it sort of, it changed my my mind a lot because people always go, and they hate on these guards. They're so mean, they're so rough, and they're so terrible. But I think that that's gone. And I don't think that they use the, uh, they don't use the religious commanding right and forbidding wrong department anymore. They're completely disbanded. Like, they don't exist. Okay. Honestly, I think that whoever's working there was sent to tourism classes or they just used normal Saudis. And I've said this before. I've never met a regular old Saudi person except that their 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 genuine quality of a person, their character, their morals, their adab with people, and that was cuts above a normal person. Now, of course, some people are going to say, oh, you didn't see the people in Riyadh. I, I didn't work with those, but the few, I can probably count how many Saudis I met in my life, right? These are great guys. They're like the akhlaq and the adab of them uh, that they present makes you feel like uh, warm on the inside. So that was my experience with those those types of people. And um, uh, that little comment I forgot to mention about about the um, uh, Umrah and the if when you go to Umrah you just got to keep in mind it's not so easy to get to the Haram anymore. It's not so uh, to the Saha. Saha is the lower floor. It's not so easy anymore to go in um, into the Rauda. So that's a reflection of the the time that we live in. Yeah, sure. Because uh, when I was there. Yeah. They didn't have the app for the, no, the so, haram. Yeah. But 
Oh yeah, so No, no, I had uh, That question came up So for men who want to go to the Saha Have to be in Ihram And you have to show the app And sometimes they look at the app Sometimes they don't Yeah, there's an app called Nusuk Yeah, so so you have Depending on how busy it is They want to make sure that there's a limit And that lower floor so if it's not busy, you could probably squeeze in. And if it is busy, you do have to show them the app. They won't let you in. Now, well, the, the, the go-around by it is sometimes people put their ihram on, and then they go in. Like, they're not in Umrah. They're not in ihram, but they're wearing the ihram clothes. Ihram is not the clothes. Ihram is the intention. And then that clothes. And it could be any clothes. It doesn't have to be a white, you know, the white that we all know about. But some people do that so they can get into the Saha. And is that permitted or not? I don't think that that's, I can't really say that's forbidden, right? Because it's not a lie. Are you on Umrah? Yeah. In general, the trip is Umrah, right? That's the general purpose of the trip. So I, I'm on Umrah trip. It's like a man-made rule. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be, it's personally a big deal if people do that. You got people coming for the once in their life. And as long as there's real no harm, right? There's no harm. Like you, when you see it, it's really, really packed. Then I would say maybe let the people do the umrah properly, right? I would say maybe if it's like Ramadan levels, then probably I would say we should just not overcrowd the place because when it gets overcrowded, you do lose a little bit of khushua. Now, here's an amazing thing that happened. Uh, it was Thursday night. We did our thing, we did our ibadat, and there are times where you could do group ibadat. Like, you can have halakas and stuff. They're not going to bother you anymore. No one's going around looking, what book are you reading? They do not care about theology at all. They just care about traffic control. I gave halakas, we did dhikr, we did the ratib. We did everything, right? And they say, just keep your crowd limited. Don't get attention. So, 2015 guys... We did the ratib, we gave a talk, etc. We, Qari Zahid came, we did Salat al-Tasbih, we did Qiyam, everything. We then went, we took a rest for about three hours. We came back at 3, 3.15 in the morning, in Ihram, went downstairs. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced, because around 4 in the morning, it started to pour. Pouring, I saw Imam Safwan there, by the way, right? Pouring. Rain, not a drizzle like you know, like the they usually get drizzles in the winter. This was just psh, everyone's ihram was soaked. We were shivering, right? Most of the women and who had babies left, and women who had stuff with them and they didn't want to get all wet, and uh, they left. The guys stayed, okay. And all of a sudden, half the place was empty. Half the saha, that white area that you see around the cup, it's called the saha. Half of it was empty. We all got to move up. And at that point, you just stay put. You're not going to give up this seat. And water was sloshing all over the place. And lightning was going across. And then thunder. It was a sight to behold. I'm telling you, you had never seen anything more awesome. And it's the time. It's the night of Friday, Laylatul Jum'ah. And it brought everyone almost like to their knees in a sense. And it was something different that I think most people will have not, will, probably won't experience it again. They only get rain for about two, three months in the winter, and they hadn't gotten rain like this uh, for a while. 
So this rain was, it was just something you felt special at that time. It was a special evening, I would say. How many times do you see like purple lightning going across right over the cabin, right? At loud uh, uh, claps of thunder. And then amidst all that, he gives the adhan of tahajjud. Remember, there's two adhans. There's an adhan an hour before fajr, then the adhan of fajr in which he says, And the place is chaos. It's, it's, you know, fun chaos? It was fun chaos. It wasn't like dangerous chaos. There's no danger. But it was like a fun chaos, right? At that point, you just submit. Whether you have belong. Alhamdulillah, I had a pouch, right? And in the Maliki fiqh, you can wear a bag with your stuff in it, in ihram, as long as it's on the skin and it's not being used to hold up your ihram. So you wear it under this, under, put all my pow, stuff in the pouch and covered it up. And then at that point, you say, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to be distracted from this moment by stuff, right? Everything got drenched. And alhamdulillah, the leather pouch protected my electronics. I couldn't even take my phone out. Brothers asking, did you have footage? So a lot of people took footage. But I couldn't take the footage. It was so bad, your phone would be ruined, right? But you just accepted the moment. Freezing, cold, wet, ihram, right? It's not a, a, a nice, smooth cloth anyway. And then uh, you made salat in that. And you made dua in that, in the rain. It, it, to me, it was what, like a night to remember. It's like one of those... If you don't keep a diary, you made a diary that night to write that in to make sure you, you remember that forever. But it was definitely going to be something that's etched in my mind. I, I took that as a gift. That whole evening was a gift, right? When you get an experience like that on Laylatul Jum'ah, in the last third of the night, and then the adhan goes off, right? You listen to the adhan of Tahajjud in the middle of the rain, in the middle of the chaos, people running to, for cover, right other people they're new they don't know what's going on right workers trying to bucket scoop shoveling water into buckets they don't have drains in the side does not there's no draining it's purely flat they're shoveling water in buckets yeah. uh, amazing definitely a, a, a night to remember and a night you'll never forget and i think we gotta be regulars to these sacred places to get cleaned out. You, you really feel that when you're there, you're in a you're getting you're in a ocean of nur that's just cleaning you out. Chaos. Because they were like they they had to go get their shovels. They got had buckets. They're they're literally like the way we do snow here. They're doing that with the water because there's no drainage. And that also the saha is purely flat. It doesn't lean. If you go to any uh, uh, land any any uh, built area they have to build it on a slant everything even your backyards whether you know it or not there's a slant very subtle slant there's no flat but this is flat no drains there's shoveling water shoveling shoveling right it's crazy Saudi also did a good job in eliminating beggars now I'm not mean against beggars obviously we could give sadaqah but it is and not a good experience where every five meters is, is, is 10 kids begging you. You can't even enjoy a piece of food. Like you're trying to eat, you can't even do anything, right? Because you have someone begging and making you feel guilty. And at, practically speaking, you can't give anything out either. Because if you give a real, a coin to one kid, you're going to be swarmed by 20 kids. Like practically, you can't do anything. 
So I, uh, that they eliminated that begging, and that was really good. So the the the, the uh, improvements there are improvements that are a lot of positives that you can think about. Are there a lot of negatives in general? Yeah, but I mean, when you're going to these trips, you're not there to think about the negatives. And then what difference does it make if 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 I sit there and think about the negatives of what's happening in Saudi? I'm just going to make myself upset, make you upset, make everyone upset, and nothing's going to happen. Right? Okay, so they have raves in Riyadh. All right, keep it over there, right? Uh, away from the Haramein Sharifain. What, what can I do about it? They have all these concerts and stuff. That's, people are going to do the sins that they're going to do. Like, it's not the time when you're going to Umrah to be, you know, thinking about that negativity. <coughs> Malik ibn Dinar says, Ma shabi'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. من خبز قط ولا لحم إلا على ضفف. There's a typo. It says ما شبع رسول الله. No, it's ما شبع رسول الله. رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. Okay. The Prophet peace be upon him never ate his fill. ما شبع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم. He never ate his fill with meat and bread. Okay, at the time of Dafaf, I asked Bedawi, a Bedouin, what does Dafaf mean? Alhamdulillah, I'm not the only one who didn't know what it means. <laughs> Malik ibn Dinar said, what is Dafaf? He said, it is to eat together with people. A, Adiyafa. Adiyafa. Uh, you guys call it Adafit, right? Adafit. Dawat, yeah. Dawat, which means invitation. It's a sounds Arabic word. Um... Except at when he invited people. So when he ate alone, he never ate his fill. But when he had an invitation or he was invited, then he ate with them. Okay. Let's look at some of the commentaries here by the Shiuch about the previous hadith, Kitan. Kattan is a fine type of cloth. So you know that scholarly family of Kittanis? This is what it's based on. They're, they're, there must be cloth salesmen somewhere in their lineage. Okay, That it's a fine type of cloth made of the skin of grass. Interesting. Okay. Woven from grass? How? Anyway. Long grass, maybe. Uh, the fibers of the grass. Now, they said, what does he mean by stepping over his neck? Were they just walking over him? No. They, what he said he means here is that they were not just walking over him. It means the other possible meaning, what he meant was they would actually uh, hold him down and someone would push down with his foot on his neck because it was said that that was a cure to release pressure. On the brain. Allah, maybe that was in the old days they thought it was a cure to Janun. So they did that to him. Okay. And he says, Abu Huraira said another time, he was so hungry. He was walking with Abu Umar ibn Khattab and he passed out. He couldn't even walk. Imagine being that hungry that you can't even walk. Okay. The question of food was so important 
is so important to the people today, they resort, resort or they all uh, resort to irreligious and hara activities that are forbidden. Yet look at this Sahabi to be with the Prophet, which he didn't have to be. He could have been with his mother and with his tribe of dose eating and sleeping and having everything he needed. But to be with the Messenger, peace be upon him, um, he endured all this hunger. And later on, and the reason was that he had wiped his nose. I'm sure he didn't blow his nose in it. He had wiped his nose like this with a very fine garment. And he said, today I'm, I'm wiping my face with kitten in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. I was rolling around in hunger. The next uh, uh, commentary says that some have said that to eat a stomach full in company means that if he was invited to eat with the people, he ate. This is important, Adab, that when your Prophet was invited uh, uh, to someone who cooked the food for you, he ate the food. He didn't say, oh, I'm a Zahid, and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to eat, because that's offensive to people. There's Adab. There's, uh, uh, it's very offensive to somebody who cooks for you that you say, oh, no, I'm, I'm sugar-free. Um, this it, unless it's a real allergy, like I went uh, on our on our on our umrah, there was a kid who was genuinely gluten free, right? No nine year old wants to be or, or ninth grader wants to be gluten free. There's no ninth grader who, who's going to be gluten free. He wants to eat food, right? But he genuinely gets severe headaches from gluten, so we had to make sure he didn't eat any gluten. So that's that's all acceptable when you're when you actually have a headache. But to have some kind of Diet, it, it may be offensive to people, so the Prophet sent him ate when he was with the people. And ordinary chance, in ordinary times, I mean, he did not eat to his fill. He never ate the, the regular-sized meal when he was just eating alone. Okay. All right, so the Prophet <laughs> was in this situation because he gave away his food or he gave away his money. Or he simply was in a maqam of zuhud where he did not eat a lot of food. Okay. Yeah, we don't say that the Prophet was poor. Right. How was he poor? Because poor, it implies an inability to attain wealth. Right. But he was in maqam of zuhud by choice. Because he was given the choice, you can be Prophet King or Prophet Slave. And he chose Prophet Slave. That was in Mecca. That was when he had the wealth. Right, right after the passing of Sayyidah Khadija, and he had all that wealth. Okay, so he chose to be like the people. He wanted to be like the people, and that's the way that we said that in 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 Fez, long time ago, a man came and said the Prophet was poor. So the ulama told him, "Don't say he was poor because that's your it's a blasphemous statement about the Prophet. Inability to attain wealth. That's what you're saying." He said, "No, he's poor." I said, "Okay, come, so you can get the punishment," and he got punished. I'm not going to tell you what the punishment was because some people might get traumatized. An Aisha said, "Kunna ala Muhammadin namkutu shahran ma nastawqidu binaran in huwa illa tamr wal ma." We, the household of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, would sit for a month. Would 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 be a month before the fire would turn on. Right before we would eat hot food, subhanAllah. We would just have water and dates. On Abi Talha, who was the 
stepfather of Ennis bin Medic. The stepfather, stepmother relationship, stepchild is is a parentage. It's type of parent. If you have a stepchild, it's a type of child. You have to care for them and love them like a child. If you have a stepfather or stepmother, you have to love them and care for them like a step like a parent. It's not just, oh, the guy who my mom married, right? Or the woman who my dad married. No, because you and her are now haram for each other. So that means your relationship is, is different. And if your mother cares for that man, you have to care for that man. If your dad cares for a woman, you have to care for that woman by virtue of the parent. That's how relationships are in Islam. Like if I'm friends with Jawad or, or, or Talha or Talha or Ismail, and he cares for somebody, I got to care for that person too. If I truly like them, right? If I truly like a person, then I have to like who he likes. Allah has, the Prophet has established this sunnah so that relationships can be formed and unity can be developed. You want to talk about another implicit proof of, of, of strengthening of Iman on these Umrah trips. You got half a million people in Mecca. No one's making rules. Nobody's saying, all right, stand up. And then goes off, everyone stands up perfectly. You don't see crimes happening, right? Like in any stadium, probably half, halfway through the game, people are drinking and there's fights. There's always a little, there's security station. You don't see it. Someone runs on the field, right? A streaker, right? It, always something, you know, something's happening. You go there, none, none of that's happening. I want, where is the, the 500,000 uh, person atheist conference? I'm telling you, 500,000 daily. There's probably like two at the bare minimum. The, the biggest is yeah. 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 But in Las Vegas, you're going to have, you, you're not, you're definitely not going to have the, 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 the feelings. For example, you go into Mecca. There's someone handing out dates all the time. There's someone handing out water all the time. There's someone, like people are trying to be charitable at all times, right? Go and get those feelings anywhere else. Where's the atheist's gathering point where you guys could all gather 200,000? Get me 200,000 atheists, right? In one place. And then cause one wrinkle of a problem and let's see how quickly that collapses. Because you have no motive. What's the motivation? Why would I be there? For my own self-interest, that's it. I'm not going to care for anybody else. But there, around the Kaaba, you have people lifting people who fell all the time. There's constant feeling of togetherness, of that these people care about one another. Yeah. Really? Medina Manawara. Paris. Oh my gosh. SubhanAllah. I need that. Yeah, send me that. Did you all hear him? He said Medina was ranked as the number one safest place for women to travel, and one of the lowest was Paris, right? But this is when when it, when a young person looks around and says, "Look at all these people. There are people from it's the subcontinent. There are people from Africa. There are people from Norwegian countries, right? There or, or Scandinavian countries. I mean, there are people from uh, China. There are people from you know the the, the Kazakhstan." Right, Kyrgyzstan, because you see the vests, they wear vests sometimes, and they say their country on the back. That's how they're identified. There are countries that you didn't really even, may not know where they are on the map, like uh, Kyrgyzstan, where is that, right? Where the heck is Kyrgyzstan? But you see them, okay? And everyone's together. And you f the, it gives an implicit feeling, like, look, all these people can't be duped. Can't be duped.
right? They're all here, and everyone's... Let's see, Connecting Travel. This is a website called Connecting Travel, if you could see this. It says, the top five safest cities in the world for female solar travelers. Medina, 10 out of 10. Sayyid al-Kawnayn, alayhi salatu wassalam. It's his city. Chiang Mai, Thailand, 9.06 out of 10. So a whole 0.94 difference. Not, not a close um, percentage. Dubai, 9.04 out of 10. Kyoto, Japan, 9.02 out of 10. Macau, China, 8.76 out of 10. Now, the least safest cities in the world. Okay. Paris, France. Jakarta, Indonesia. Come on, Indonesians. What's going on? You're making us look bad. Delhi, India. Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. What? Malaysia? Like Malaysia is safer for a woman to travel than New York? Kuala Lumpur? Than New York? Ajib. Johannesburg, South Africa. Very interesting. Really interesting. But most importantly, number one is Sayyid al Kaunain. Who else? Here, Turkey is here. Antalya. As the 10th safest place for women to travel. This was, this was based on ask, like survey asking women where they feel safest walking at night. Oh, okay. So, surveys, yeah, basically. And, and stuff like that. So, and what about police reports? Like I think pers- it's also based on that, but I think the, part of it was also asking like actual women, solo traveling women, like how they feel walking at night or how they feel being alone. SubhanAllah. Like time check. Right, what time is it? 2.16. One more hadith and then we go for Q&A. This hadith is from Sahel, Sahel ibn Aslam an Yazid ibn Abi Mansur an Anas an Abi Talha shakawna ila Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam al-ju' We complained of severe hunger to the Prophet Warafana an butunina We showed him we, that we had wrapped stones uh, on our stomachs and they would, they would tie a stone to, to ease the pangs the hunger pangs because if your stomach is empty there's a pain there so they wrap a stone around their stomach, like wrap a belt around your stomach, imagine that, uh, to, to shrink the stomach together so it doesn't feel the pain. The Prophet said lifted his stomach and had two stones on it. In other words, he had not eaten even more so than them, than they had not eaten. Okay, let's see what he says in the commentary here. Prophet, peace be, uh, there's no, no much commentary, just straight up that the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to feel the, what his Sahaba were feeling. He never made himself different from the Sahaba. Okay. okay, it is now time for Q&A. If you ask a question, I don't want to scroll up because it always, as I said, it messes up everything when I scroll up. So just bring your, uh, bring your, uh, questions in now the first question or the first comment from quran beheld follow our official page for upcoming content and updates on the quran beheld uh, inshallah uh next comment is dua from samuel muzammadar may allah give us the ability to visit mecca and do hajj and visit medina fahad chaudhry says are you from ahl sunnah or what how would you how would you and he says are you a shafi Maybe the black turban is throwing him off. He thinks I'm a Shia. No, uh, there, there's no, there isn't a Shia here. Alhamdulillah. Uh, is there a way to change one's maiden name without changing it legally? 
um, when it comes to the names, the, it is preferable to leave your name as it is because it is it represents your father. However, it is not. Your last name is a laqab. The, there's no, no shari'i in sharia, there's no last name. What the Prophet forbade you doing is changing your father's uh, name in, this, in respect of saying instead of I'm the son of Abdullah, you start saying I'm the son of Abdul Hamid. So you've altered who you're the kid of. That is where, that is completely forbidden. But if you don't like the laqab that you have, let's say you are, um, let's say, Hassan al-Lakhmi, right? And you come to a country where they can't pronounce al-Lakhmi. So you change it to anything else, whatever you want. You own yourself. You you give your laqab how you wish. You own your name, okay? Let's say your name is... Um, let, I don't know some other name, okay, Safdar, and you go to a country where that it's not a nice word in their language. You are you ha, you are lawfully allowed to change your name, right? You own your name at a certain point, so you can go and lawfully start, and you can start telling everyone, "Stop calling me that. Call me Karim." Right? All of that is allowed. If you adopt somebody here, can you give them your last name as long as you acknowledge that? Yeah, if you adopt somebody. Uh, or the technical term would be taking care of, t- taking the response, fostering somebody. Okay. If you foster somebody, they, as long as they know who their dad is, they have to know who their father truly is, if they know that. And they have to know that you're not their dad. That's their right. Because what the Sharia is protecting from is this, is number one, mixing up of lineages, but number two, also this traumatic thing that, oh, I discovered at 19 he's not my real dad. That's not my mom at 19. That's too much trauma for a kid. And it's all about haq and batil. You are not the father, so don't claim it, right? So uh, you can you, you can give him his la- your last name. The last name, remember, it's just a laqab, a nickname. As long as he understands who his father is, right? Now, how many Pakistani families, everyone in the family's got a different last name, Right? So like the dad, his last name is his dad's dad. His dad. Right? The kid, their last name is his dad. Right? Happens all the time. So they're like, Shagufta uh, Ahmed and Salha Ahmed. And then the dad is Ahmed Muzambil. Right? And it's just because these are Al-Qab. They're just nicknames. The last name, it literally has no effect. It's not a Shari. It's not a Sharia category. What is a Sharia category is whose ibn you are that you can never change jawad ibn abdullah you can never change that right and you should not claim that someone else is your dad and disclaim your dad or your mom of course so that's how it works with names now if the last name is perceived it's perceived as a family connection then you shouldn't change it's to change that if it's perceived that way and if it's not a common culture, like let's say in the subcontinent lands and in is Turkey, they, the women change the last name when they get married, right? But in other countries, they don't. So maximum will be makru. Question from Superman says, can one take knowledge from a person of knowledge whose private sins of fahisha were exposed to the world? You can take technical knowledge that can be judged right or wrong, but spiritual insights and that tarbiyah stuff, probably not. 
we ask Allah from the exposure of sins. So what do I mean by that? For example, if someone wrote a book in Usul al-Fiqh, Usul al-Fiqh, it's a science. You can go and verify what he's saying, right? And then you could realize it's all verified, but the way he distilled the knowledge is so efficient and so good, I'm gonna re- I want to read that book. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you if it's a situation where it's spiritual insights and terbiyah, then no. Unless those his his exposed sins was long ago and he made toba. How do I get closer to our holy book? Is to open it and recite from it daily, even if a small amount. But it's the daily amount. Samra Noreen, I just came back from Umrah as well. Can you comment on people wearing shoes inside the haram? As long as the shoe is pure. It is permitted to wear shoes around the haram, especially making tawaf on the second floor or the roof. That is what? How many miles of tawaf is that? I think that each lap is half a mile, right? Each each lap is half a mile, 0.44 miles. And it could be more if they force you on the edge due to construction. So when we're walking, uh, first of all, very sad someone jumped i think some people yeah from the second floor yeah uh i think some people may be on um drugs or something he jumped but he didn't die because he fell on an old lady right that's someone where even at this you failed subhanallah right and you put it fell on a poor old lady she's probably broken right now right all over the place but he jumped so what did they do of course, there's already a, a plastic, a, 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 a plexiglass there, so you could see the cabin through. But there's plexiglass. Now they put another barrier in front of that, so people don't jump. They're probably going to have a the, double the plexiglass, so make it five, six feet, and that no one can jump. Because right now you could just literally you can jump. It's pretty easy to jump. But they're probably going to elevate the plexiglass. So a great job because of you guys, we all have to see the, the cabin through plexiglass. Fine. Now he's going to put, they put another barrier. Then that barrier, uh, from there, is praying, a, a place for salah. And then they put like a thin line of tape, like a, like a caution tape, right? So you have between the second floor uh, edge of the second floor, and where you're actually making tawaf is a good 20 feet, Right? So now add 20 feet from the distance to the Kaaba. So you're walking there. Now naturally you're not going to always get to that edge. Add another 10 feet where you probably most likely be walking on average. So you, it's, you're adding that 30 feet. Then you keep walking. There are areas where they're doing construction on the ceiling. So they walled that off. So you have to walk probably another 50 feet back around that area. You're walking a lot. You're allowed to wear shoes as long as there's no najas on the shoes. No problem with that. Mu'mina says, I'm from Seattle and I want to move to Dallas away from liberalism. Would you advise that? Yeah, 100%. I wouldn't live with these people. I would not live with these people. Secondly, she looks like a white convert. You'll get along fine in Texas. No one will bother you. Uh, By the way, Tennessee, subhanAllah. Tennessee has some serious... Let me tell you a story of one of the people who were there. One of the... I'm not going to say any names, of course. But it's such an amazing story where... A family has is part white, part ethnic. They're part white and they're part not white. Okay, so they look different from all of the white 
Christians that are there, and we're talking 80s. Right? This sister probably in her in high school in her 80s or 90s. And the, they're on a class trip, and there's the, there's a por- portion of the class trip where it's at nighttime, and before then they're and they're all in it, one of the teacher's cars, and they're going to go out for a meal or something like that. But anyway, they're all in a teacher's car. Teacher says, "All right, I'm not moving this car unless everyone professes their love of Christ and their devotion to Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." So one by one, each girl says, I'm all about Jesus Christ, and I love Jesus Christ, and I'm born again, and whatever they say. I don't know what the words they say. Then they get to her, right? Now, she's a regular, you know, she's like a, 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 at that point, she didn't even have much, you know, uh, action in the dean. Like, she wasn't really involved. She's just a Muslim. She knows she's a Muslim. That's it. But she's not living the life where, okay, we're Muslims and this is how we are, blah, blah, blah. And you can't even tell, right, that she's a Muslim. So, and she's telling the story that this was the moment that she decided, uh, I'm, I'm in it, I'm in Islam, right? So, but, but this is really moment was from Allah because you're, you're in a melting pot and all of a sudden this lady says, we're not moving this car unless you all profess your devotion to Jesus Christ, Right? So she's like, out of the blue, in the middle of a regular evening, it's like a gun to my head of what religion you are. And she said, I was so shocked, but then all of a sudden I just said, well, I guess I'm getting out of the car, right? Because I'm a Muslim, I guess I'm getting out. I thought that was so amazing because when Allah wants to choose someone or, or give you some moment of iman or make a line in the sand, it just happens. It's not, it wasn't planned it wasn't something that there was no build up to it. But obviously her parents had raised her enough that she's a Muslim. And they're in the heart of Tennessee, which is wherever they were in the South, that they could do that stuff in the public schools, right? The public school teacher could do that and get away with it. But she put a line in the sand, right? And then she said, from then on, that, that was my life. From then on. I thought, subhanAllah, that was an amazing story. So for Mu'mina. I definitely uh, would suggest that you get out from these uh, people because it pro- this story proved the point. To have an enemy who is a clear enemy is lesser evil than an ally who is actually an enemy. Because the liberals, they will profess a love of diversity and they want your Islam, be a Muslim, whatever, but also be everything else. And so that negates your Islam. And I'm telling you, the mindset has seeped in. Poor Aqil, okay, uh, Mr. Silky-haired Aqil, who got roasted on the last day of the podcast uh, before we left for asking if he could sleep on a silk pillow to protect his princely hair that I guess he's from the Mughal emperors of India or something like that. And he has this beautiful silky hair. He doesn't want a single hair to fall out. So... There's a restaurant, uh, there was a restaurant here in the area that is a Muslim halal restaurant, but they have Hindu idols. Poor Aqil goes in there and he says, hey, um, I don't think it's appropriate to have an idol. This is, this is a regular Muslim kid from Jersey. This is not some Wahhabi, right? By the way, some things the Wahhabis say is correct, by the way, right? Everything, every group is right at some point. And this one is, they would be right about it too. Not everything that's Wahhabi is bad. 
this one was correct. But anyway, he just puts a regular post. I, I, I don't think they should have idols. Now, if anything, for an Islamic restaurant, Muslim, anything Muslim, shouldn't it? You, you, you do assume that you shouldn't have an idol, right? That's an assumption, right? Because if anything is the biggest thing that contradicts our Islam is shirk. The poor kid gets roasted. He gets roasted. And it just reveals the liberal, all religions are equal, never get passionate about your faith. That is a liberal quality, right? That's a liberal quality. That's not like a human quality. That's a particularly liberal quality. And you could trace it back, and you probably studied this, where the first Frenchmen and the first British uh, authors to try to water down all faiths, right? And that the only true thing is that not to harm another person. And I'm telling you, when you trace it back, it was heretics who came up with this idea. Heretics within their culture at that time were the ones who came up with the concept and idea that the only real virtue is just don't hurt another person. And the state has its laws and it should be tolerant of all faiths and don't say what one faith is right and one faith is wrong. Guaranteed, the founders of that those ideas are people who had no faith. That's why they're saying these things. Now, Aqil gets mocked, made fun of, and being said, oh, tell them in private. Oh, this isn't something to be critiqued. Wait a second. The whole page is critiquing the chutneys and the recipes of the... It's bad in there. I joined as yeah. soon as he posted it. Yeah. Yeah, he was getting roasted. He got roasted. But, but the, the whole... Re- <clears throat> why is it the whole rest of the page is all about, oh, I went in and the service wasn't good. I went in and I wasn't treated politely. So you care more about yourself than an idol being there? Or I went in there and the uh, pakora was two hours old, right? And it was not crunchy or whatever like that. That's the nonsense that you all accept. But when a poor Muslim kid, you should be happy that a Muslim kid comes and says, wait a second, we don't worship other gods, do we? There's another god up there, right? Shouldn't you take that down if it's a halal restaurant? If they were selling pork, wouldn't that be worthy of a review? Oh, the, uh, the, uh, the biryani has some pork. There's a pork biryani. That's an outrage, right? Pork biryani. He's just saying astaghfirullah from a pork biryani, right? You just desecrated the recipe. On top of that, it's haram, right? To be criminalized. It's the liberal mindset has seeped into so many Muslims, right? And I guarantee you, these are, and, and some guy made an amazing statement. He said, if a Hindu walked in there and said, it offends me that you put a God up there in a restaurant, gods don't belong in restaurants, right? It, it offends me. As decor. Yeah. That you use a Hindu God as decoration and it should be respected <clears throat> and let, let us Hindus take care of our gods and put them where we want to put them. The whole thing, you'd be rushing within minutes, it'd be gone. Because that has to do with sensitivity of diversity, right? Sensitivity of diversity, which is a liberal quality, right? Being sensitive to people's culture, okay? Whereas being sensitive to aqidah is not part of liberal, the liberal mindset. This just goes to show that, that whole thread just goes to show how liberalized the minds of muslims have become and i'm sure that they're great people and everything but they don't realize that what they've fallen into and the usual things oh don't be a religious the police don't be holier than thou what's holier than thou this is a basic truth it harms humanity 
if they worship idols and it frees humanity if you worship Allah. This is the best thing you could do for somebody. If I went in there and I got poisoned in a restaurant and I didn't say anything, and then you went and you went and you went and you all got poisoned, am I guilty or innocent? I'm guilty, right? Because I harmed you. So we got to shut out poison. And there is poison of the mind and of the heart, superstitions, uh, all these things, all these shirki, and these things, they come in slowly. And clearly, the temperature on this thing is, is getting higher because now a mu- Muslims are berating a Muslim for being upset about idolatry in a Muslim restaurant. So, the, so it's working. The desensitization is working very well. Yeah. Post, like every, other post. every post but then when he talked about an idol he gets roasted they talked about poor in the middle in i'll never forget this one in the middle of the pandemic when restaurants are going belly up left and right restaurants are going but they can't pay the rent anymore they can't pay their workers anymore they have no one to cook right they have no one to buy food in the middle of the pandemic a woman puts in a a, a post in this People don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about Jersey Halal Food Facebook page. They don't know what we're talking about. I, I should have mentioned it. What we're talking about is the Jersey, what is it called? Jersey Halal Spots Facebook page. This page is a riot. It's, it's every month it's a different entertainment. This one was pretty sad, to be honest with you. I know that this mindset existed, but I didn't realize like poor uh, guy would get roasted like this for calling out an idol if he called out oh there was a little bit too much cardamom pods in my food they would say okay well noted we'll make sure that we put less no no he's calling out shirk an idol that means a muslim used his hands purchased it and put it there that's far worse than khanzir right that's far worse than pouring beer all over your biryani right Anyway, the Hanafis can drink that if it's not going to make them drunk anyway, but we'll leave that for another point, okay? But it's far worse than pouring alcohol all over your food or putting bacon bits and discovering that my food has bacon bits in it. That's far worse. And, and he got made fun of badly, mocked. So this Halal Jersey Spots, in the middle of the pandemic, a lady puts in a post and she says... It's unacceptable, unbelievable. I ordered halal pepperoni pizza and the pepperoni is not evenly distributed. <laughs> and the, the owner had to get on there and, and say that I think that the driver, right, when he drove, the, the cheese may have shifted around, right? So I apologize. And he's like apologizing to the lady, right? But you're going to go in COVID and try to ruin a guy's business. Over that, that's the crowd that we're talking about here. Wow! And then, and then, when idols are called out, Halas, he is the worst of the worst. That we shouldn't criticize. That we shouldn't criticize. But the pepperoni, the 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 freshness, the uh, here's the funniest one: North Jersey, Central Jersey is all Desi. North Jersey is all Palestinians. Okay, there's a Paris Palestinian restaurant called Abu Ras. It's one of the best Palestinian foods you can get, right? This was one of the most epic posts. A sister from, a Daisy sister from Central Jersey, where people generally have manners, right? And are polite. She goes up to Abu Ras, right? And she writes a post. This is hilarious. She says that 
she, they're sitting in the not, no smoking section and a guy's smoking, right? And she says, excuse me, uh, 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 to the waiter, please tell him not to smoke because it's a non-smoking section and I don't want to smoke when I'm eating my Palestinian food. I don't want to smell the smoke. So the waiter goes and the guy keeps smoking. Nothing happened. So she says, this time I said to the guy, excuse me, sir, this is the no smoking section, right? And we're trying to enjoy our meal here and uh, you're smoking. The guy turns around and he says, I'm the owner of the restaurant. I'll smoke wherever I want. You don't like it, leave. <laughs> Welcome to North Jersey. Welcome to Patterson, right? Welcome to dealing with Palestinians in Patterson. Shut your mouth. I own the place. That's what he said, right? You find every possible critique in this restaurant, uh, in this website. Do you have to apply to get in or you could just go? There's like 12,000 people. You guys should all join for entertainment purposes. I, I literally only join just to see like what restaurants yeah. there are, but I don't. Oh, okay. I don't touch the comments. I don't, every I don't, month, it's hilarious though to watch sometimes. Every month, someone sends me on WhatsApp uh, <laughs> like a an absurd thread or an absurd comment or a screenshot. Yeah. It's to me, it's it comedy. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Which hotel is best for older people, and is it Israf to book a? Uh, 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 an expensive hotel for ease. No, it's not Israf. And in Medina, there are two streets of hotels that are very easy to go to. Like Dara Tawheed is the intercontinental. Then there's the Frontiel Hotel, which is one street behind that. That's where we stayed. So the first two streets in Medina. In Mecca, it's the Clock Tower and the Hilton next to it. All those hotels. There are like a number of buildings. You'll see those are the easiest hotels for the elderly to stay at. What about people who get ill in Umrah? Uh, that, inshallah, you can treat that as a kafara for them, and that's their purification. But when you get when you go to Umrah, you actually need to be pretty um, sturdy. Not for Medina. Medina is fine. For Mecca, that tawaf and sa'i, it's not. It's not that. It's not that easy. Right. So you need to be sturdy. On top of that, your immune system needs to be sturdy by drinking a lot of orange juice, a lot of vitamin C. And uh, because the microbes of the whole world are there in Mecca. And in Medina, it's probably worse because it's closed roof. Mecca's open air. At least people cough and go straight up. But in Medina, it's, you're most likely going to be praying under a roof. So all those microbes are going around. Get all the microbes of the world and uh, get sick once or twice and you'll be stronger after that. Does paying off a debt that your dad owes while he's still alive count as zakah? That's a great question. And yes, it, it counts. Paying, payment of debt counts for zakah for your dad, but not upkeep of your debt. Upkeep of your dad is fart. Payment of his debt is not fart. You can't pay zakah on taking care of your parents. You have to take care of your parents. But you can pay zakah for their debts. Very good question there. Ahl al-Bayt? Yeah. Ahl al cannot receive zakah for themselves, so you're asking, can we pay the debts of Ahl al-Bayt? Oh, like if you want to pay for your father, or if someone in the family wants to pay for their own Yeah, that's... Uh, debts. Your own Ahl al-Bayt. Debts. Your own yeah, your own family. Yeah. 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 Okay. Debts. Not for him to eat and live. For him to eat and live, you have to pay for that. That's fard. No, can't pay zakah for that. Mm-hmm. But to pay off their debts, yes, you can do that. You can pay Zakat. Use your Zakat money to pay off his debts. Ahmed Ali is in the house. 
He looks like he, he's coming in looking like a Omda from Egypt. Exactly Doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone of you know uh, the Omdas, what they look like in Egypt? The Fallahin? Okay. He's got the big Egyptian sleeve, right? And he's got a nice scarf. <laughs> Ahmed Ali, what's up? You still studying uh, pharmacy? You gra- uh, you're taking winter break now? Yeah. Alhamdulillah, that's why he's here. He studies so hard, we never see him until, unless it's the break. All right. Forbidding evil is seen as being judgmental, Bushra Begum says. Here's a question for you. Oh, Islam is about intention, they told Aqil. Islam is about intention. Okay, why doesn't he get the same accommodation? Why doesn't the guy who is calling out idols get the same accommodation as the guy who put up the idols? Right? Oh, it's all about intention. Leave, leave the guy alone because that's his intention. It's between him and Allah. He's trying to do something good. You perceived it as harsh. Huh? Yeah. And that's it. We just judge someone on the outside. But the, the, the idea of the intention is wrong in the first place. We don't judge people, people's actions by their intentions. You judge the action by the lawfulness of the Sharia. You judge their hearts. You leave that alone. Right? The heart, you leave it alone. Because I can't see your heart. But nahkum bil zahir, Sayyidina Umar said. Which means that if you pick up uh, a Budweiser and you drink it, I'd say to you, that's haram. Right? And you say, ah, oh, well, you don't know what's in it. I washed it out and I put water. It doesn't make a difference, right? Because on the outside, it's a Budweiser, right? So I have the right to tell you that's haram. And it is haram for you to drink out of a Budweiser can, no matter what's juice or whatever. But no one says drinking Budweiser and say, oh, judge it by his intention. What intention? That's haram. Period. Okay, you didn't know? Fine. We'll be nice to you. We'll be gentle to you. You can say that. But an outward action is judged by the law. A public action is criticized in public. Why should they say, praise him in, pri- in public, critique in private? Why should I critique in private when he put the idol in public? The idol's in public. This actually a sign, and I believe that it's in Al-Akhdari's introduction, if not, it's in one of the other books, uh, where he says that of the worst people, society, is someone who sins publicly and nobody crit- criticizes him publicly. That means that the care for the truth is completely gone. They're embarrassed. So, th- But the, the ability to disobey Allah publicly is there. <clears throat> That means it's a very bad sign for those people. That the sinner is so strong, he can go do it in public. Disobey Allah in public. But the one who forbids wrong, he has to stay silent. It's a very bad sign. Umm MJ says, what are your thoughts on someone who wants to go do jihad to protect the Muslim ummah? I don't see where he's going to go do jihad. I don't know where he's going. Where is the valid jihad these days? <laughs> go, to Craig, <laughs> go to Craigslist, type in valid, lawfully valid jihad in the United States, uh, um, in the world. I don't know where one is, to be quite honest with you. You'd get flagged. You'd get flagged for typing it in. You, you, you'd get flagged for bringing it up on the thing. Huh? No, no time stamp for that. Jihad al-Nafs. Jihad al-Nafs. Yeah, and Bir al Yeah, Jihad al-Nafs. The jihad today, t- uh, according to some of the Ba'alawi f- uh, f- uh, du'at, is Jihad al-Bayan. 
clarifying the truth the jihad of clarifying the truth that's the that's and it's not the jihad that's gonna you're gonna be a martyr that we don't wash or or pray upon or shroud but it is a jihad where um in the sense of putting a great effort and getting you're gonna get a feedback that's negative you're gonna get you're gonna get bad feedback here we go talking about shirk and the muslims themselves have berated the guy i hope he had allies in that in that he had people defending that's good they're all getting roasted everyone's getting roasted and mocked yeah let's get all roasted together it's fun to get roasted together (laughs) (laughs) ahmed brings down the hammer and said there you and the other side will get roasted in the fire well hopefully they won't get roasted in the fire they'll correct their position right but subhanallah wait it's we got to the point that that liberal mindset we have to extract it from our minds that liberal mindset of those people that critic that passion for your beliefs is to be shunned passion for all diversity even if it contradicts your god is to be accepted that's a summary of it right passion for a set of beliefs is to be shunned but passion for diversity even kufr is to be accepted that's the khulas of the whole thing. XYRC says, I don't, uh, or Ali Yamama says, what goal should we focus on leading up to Ramadan prep? Okay, no, I actually wanted to read the question before about, no, go, oh, hijabi bloggers. I don't think it's right when men try to advise hijabi bloggers in public on their Instagram posts. Yeah, it does feel a bit weird if a guy is writing to a woman forbidding wrong on her hijabi blog post why are you there in the first place <laughs> that's why right why are you there in the first place and uh you know the instagram bloggers that's a whole world it's a whole nother world and i don't know i don't have much comments i don't never looked into it except my only comment was that i mean if if my own daughters said i'm going to be a hijabi blogger i would say that there is some muharramat there what are the muharramats putting yourself in a public thing where anybody could look at your picture. Then it could be screenshotted and passed around. And you're not putting up a picture like uh, a staff picture at a hospital, which is not a problem, right? All right, we need all the nurses to line up, uh, all the doctors to line up so that people could see who works with us, right? And who's who. That's fine, not a problem. But they're not doing that. They're, They're not even giving a talk on a subject of their expertise, which you could say, okay, even that, fine. You give a talk about some area of expertise that you have that benefits the world and the ummah. People may still criticize that because you you inviting people to stare at you. But fine, there there can be commentary both ways. You can, I've seen you go both ways on that. You're doing it for fashion. That means you have to look good. You have to look good. Very good, too. Okay. Now you're actually inviting people <coughs> to stare at your picture. Almost too good. Oh, is that like sometimes it's it's too good to be true because of the filters and whatever else they're doing, right? So from that aspect, I would say to my own kid, that's haram, right? The technology is dangerous too, like the deep fake technology. Yeah, they can just take the pictures and put it. They could take that picture and put it on some other body, right? That could like <coughs> so. From that aspect, I would say this is something to be avoided. That's just a general statement about blogging and pictures in general. 
Okay, she says, I'm a convert. I had an ex-husband, last name, and I changed it to Mina legally. Am I supposed to change it back to my father's last name? You own your last name. You can change it to whatever you want. But what you should not do is say that you are the daughter of a different man. That's what's haram. And in our Western culture, nobody does that. Nobody goes around saying, I'm Mark, son of Jim, right? So there's less to worry about. Uh, But it's funny that some of the guys in Philly... Uh, from Germantown Mosque, they started this trend, right? Uh, and they would start their calls of Abdul Wahid, uh, son of Jim, right? Yeah, like that. They would. They actually started the Ibn thing, which I think it's sort of cool. I like. Yeah. Yeah. I like when people put Ben. Yeah, Ben, B E N, right? <laughs> That's Moroccan for sure. Is he Moroccan or Jewish? Because they're the ones who write it like that. Chief Latif says, a friend recently became Muslim. How can I best support him and put him on ArcView classes this early in his journey? At this point, it's not about classes, it's about hanging out with you. Make sure he hangs out with you and the other Muslims in an informal hangout. Let him befriend Muslims. That's the most important thing. Alodi says, Anam Lodi says, my students tell me their goal in life to be as a blogger or a TikToker. Oh my gosh, that's a problem. Tell them, by the time you get to high school, it's going to be a different app anyway. Nur al-Huda says, why are descendants of the Prophet considered Ahl al-Bayt if lineage is transmitted through the father? That's a good question. The Quran proves that lineage for one generation can be transmitted through the mother. What's the proof of that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributing Sayyidina Isa to Ibrahim as a grandfather. Attributing Sayyidina Isa to be from the lineage of Ibrahim. So how did he become from the lineage of Ibrahim? Through his mom. That is the proof that al-Hasan and Hussein uh, are from the lineage of the Prophet And also, on top of that, the explicit evidence of that is the Prophet put his cloak around Hassan, Hussein, Ali, and Fatima, and he says, Oh, Master of Allah, these are my Ahl al-Bayt. Okay? So the Prophet did that, and then one of the wives of the Prophet was standing, and she said, And me too? And he said, And you too. So Ahl al-Bayt, it encompasses those who lived with the Prophet as his family, and specifically these five, Ahlul Kisat, they're called. And then on top of that, any lineage that goes back to Abdul Muttalib, which today that only exists as the lineage of Hassan, Hussein, uh, Talib, Aqil, Jafar, and Abbas. Everything else has died off. All other lineages have died off. Sarah says, would it be permissible to teach English as a second language to adults of the opposite gender over the phone? No video. Sometimes the lesson is free talk to help them practice their English skills. It would be preferable if there were some others in the room on your side and that they knew that there were some others in the room on their side because it could lead to some intimacy. And khalwa to us is there's a specific khalwa and there's a broader khalwa. A specific khalwa is anything where intimacy could be. Now, the general khalwa is anything where there could be intimacy, even a public space. So if there's a, a field, a huge field, there's no walls around this field. But a guy and a girl go so far and there are some trees and bushes blocking them that they could possibly be intimate together without anyone seeing them. That's khalwa. Even if there are no walls around them. And likewise, chit-chatting over the phone. Of course, she's going to be teaching, but nonetheless, it's still, there's a potential that could be intimate. So this may be done if there's some other person in the room and the listener, the student, should know that. Right, that there's another person in the room, and you put him on loudspeaker, 
right? So that would eliminate the shubha from that. And even that, some people may be may get a little bit uh, unhappy with that because still there could some attachment may develop because it's one on one, and you're just having general talk. So you have to consider all these things. So if your mahram is with you in the room. Or somebody's with you in the room that makes the matter safer. And if you can't do all that, then um, you can turn him down. Hamza Azizi says, Isn't jihad done by permission of both the ruler and the parents? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Jihad has to be done by not permission of the parents all the time. Only if they're in need of you. Only if they're in need of you. Then... That, that becomes an issue. Of, and there has to be a ruler too. And there what, could there ever be a jihad without a ruler? Yes, there could be in the case of an invasion. Right? And there's no ruler. Right? Then you don't need his permission. Or he's announced a general, we need all your help. Like, what's the boy from uh, Ukraine? <laughs> Remember those early videos? Come and help us out. Right? Fight against the Russians. Of course, that's not jihad, but Bosnia in the 90s. Right, where just everyone come, Afghanistan, everyone come and, and help us fight the enemy. Firdaus says Islam has become strange amongst the believers. Very sad. One is judged to have extensive to judge or have to extensively explain obeying the basic faraid. It's crazy and aqaid now faraid and obligations, and she means here aqaid too. It's crazy and it's tiring. That's all get roasted together. That's that's one of the purposes of this live stream. We could all be like that minority of the ummah, at least. Oh, wait, well, maybe we're not such a minority. There's 120 people here, too. Dino Palavra says, uh, <laughs> scrolling through Instagram, I've also become an expert on how to tie hijab because of how many hijab tying ads there are and whatever. Superman says it is appropriate to criticize so-called... Oh, that's the question. We answered that already. Let's keep going. Moab, I have non-Muslim Arab friends who sometimes greet me with salamu alaikum. Can I say wa alaikum salam? I believe that the statement of the Prophet is that he used to say salamu alaikum at al huda. Why the Muslim and the Kafir? They can't be alike. That's what I was taught and I know. The Muslim and the Kafir do not get a greeting that is the same greeting. So you can say, Wa alaikum, or, As-salamu ala man huda, something like that. Or you can get woke on them and say, don't appropriate our culture, right? <laughs> <laughs> or you could say what Salafi Talk Radio said is, we don't give salam to the innovator. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Too bad they stopped those skits there were some skits called Salafi Talk Radio <laughs> they only made two crack me up every once in a while I listen to them yeah exactly <laughs> uh, Stranger says what would happen if an oppressed person keeps repeating Ya Muntaqim oof if you're truly oppressed and you call upon that it will you will receive it Inshallah, Taala, they they will receive the intiqam from you. Intiqam means avenge. Heavy. What does the statement mean? Ya muntaqim, O avenger, to avenge uh, the uh, my oppressor. 
How do I answer the question, what's the meaning of life when a non-Muslim asks it? Ultimate meaning of life is for us to choose to love and obey our Creator and to earn paradise by our own free choice. That's And to, 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 to witness the creation and the secrets of this Creator, to be witnesses of it, and to follow Him and obey Him and love Him by choice with options. Because the angels were created, it didn't fulfill what Allah had wanted. Because they worship Allah without any choice. In other words, they do not even have the option. Inside of them, there is not even a desire to disobey Him. They're perfect. So if, you, is, if, if, I give you, if you're starving and I give you one meal, you're going to eat it. You have no other choice, right? If I then ask you how it is, how do you like the meal I cooked for you? You have to tell me that you like it because you have no choice. Remember, your mother-in-law gives you food. Do you like it? Of course I like it because she's looking right at me, right? I have to say I like it. And you have to. You can lie even at that point. So secondly, Allah Ta'ala wanted to willed to, to purify this free will and make it truly genuine. He put us in a world where we perceive distance from Him. We perceive there's no distance from us in Allah Ta'ala, but we perceive that distance. Okay? So if now your mom mother in law walks out of the room, right? And you're just with a bunch of guys, not even her daughter, and someone that says, and then someone brings other options of food. Her food, El Bake, KFC, Biryani, all other rest food. Now that's the real test. Right? That's the real test. Now, if with she's not there, not her daughter, none of the family's there, and I got 10 options, and I still choose that option, right? And let's add another layer to this. All the other food is decorated, right? And of course, right, the daisies know how to decorate their food with all the food coloring on the shelf, right? And Arabs decorate their food. Everyone decorates their food in, an own, in their own way. But this food is not decorated. It's bland. Right? No decoration on the food. So it looks like it's not good. And the container is not good. Everything else is another nice container. Because what did the Prophet say? Allah has dressed paradise and covered it with hardships. So it's, it's layers to purify and make genuine your free will and your choice. That... Now, when you choose that, for sure you love her food better than everything else. When you have all those options, your fried chicken, cheeseburger, pizza, all the other biryani, Turkish food, whatever food that you like, and then her food, all that's decorated and free. Her food you have to pay. And it's in plastic. And it's not decorated. And she's not even in the room to see if you like it or not. And you still choose that? That's a total proof right there, right? That's nobody's watching. And on top of that, all the peer pressure, all your friends are saying, leave that food, eat this. But yet you still, look at how many layers now. All these layers that Allah is putting in front of us. So that when we make that decision now, then we have truly shown the genuine choice uh, that we chose our creator over everybody else. That's the whole purpose. So then when that person gets paradise, he's truly earned it. Is it backbiting if we talk about celebrities? Says Sony 700. 
if it's talking backbiting about a celebrity in something that they did that is a warning to others because everyone's following them so if everyone's following a public figure and they're going into doing something bad then whatever it takes to get people away from following them even if it has to do with mocking something about them right is permitted so if i was to have a, a person a young person who's all about a certain celebrity and i said look what the drugs made him look like right he's on drugs whatever look at his life it's messed up it's ruined his uh, do you ever see artie lang you ever know who artie, you know who artie lang was artie lang was a comedian when i was young and he used to sniff his nose is like this now it's so messed up i don't even think he goes in public anymore i don't know right but it's so messed up he was a filthy comedian he was one of those comedians who tried to make his living off of shocking everybody so he'd go on the tonight show and curse like on live tv or whatever and he tried to get himself a um you know notoriety like howard stern and all these other guys by shocking everybody but he failed he was a filthy type of guy and if someone was let's say attracted to that thing we say look at the results and i have to tell you there are some duat that are attracted to trump's method of of shock and controversy and conflict and name calling and it is a technique that gets you a lot of attention in exchange for your self-respect and then as a muslim <clears throat> your ukhuwa and a lot of things that are required in the sharia you're trading that and a lot of muslims do that now like let's go and make a whole video making fun of someone and calling him a name and having a conflict and creating a drama and getting all the likes and all the attention so we have to say like some like like um when it comes to that i have to wait until that person collapses right and then i have to show everyone look look what that resulted in you're allowed to do that to get people away from following someone who's going the wrong path a prophet i sent him called abu al-hakam abu jahl and he called his own uncle abu lahab mocking them to keep people away from them that's when it's permitted and it's more permitted for a kafir than to do that to a muslim we, sh- we shouldn't really do that to a muslim unless he's really misguiding the people okay like in the reputation culture that kind of like stuff on youtube i think the reputation culture has uh, they're all informed by trump's trump's method of getting attention it's that they're all using that or a lot of them i should say not all of them a lot of them are using that it's conflict name calling coming up with little nicknames for people it's folk <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's not appropriate the lady calls out in the back right what did she say it's offensive he says, oh okay pocahontas <laughs> the guy it, for me it's comedy because i don't like any of them right it's comedy but you do that now inside of the ummah of islam it doesn't work it will not work it's incongruous it's incongruous with what you're calling to why do you want to purify the aqidah of islam right for the love of the ummah and for the love of allah okay then why are you want to obeying him why why are you going mocking all these people so that's the idea here even a scholar who becomes who makes a misguided decision uh if they're still yani within ahlus sunnah but they made a misguided decision still deserves a, a modicum of respect but those guys want to sell that for the likes they're getting the likes stuff is fire on youtube but let's just wait and see how you how that ages 
That's the question. How does it age? How are you going to be like 60, right? 50 and 60, and that stuff is there. That you 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 doing these shenanigans. You should be embarrassed. What if you see these people on Umrah? Right? Weird. It's incongruous with spirituality. It's incongruous with the sunnah. Inc- How are you going to teach Shema'il? You're going to have to skip half the chapters. How does one get closer to the Qur'an? Every day you open the Qur'an. That's how you get closer, even if it's a small amount. Why don't scholars take up a stance on LGBTQ? We all do. I think everyone is. I don't know, some maybe uh, liberal-minded imams don't or can't, especially if they teach at university, and no no offense. But... (laughs) uh, I'm laughing at Ryan's, uh, his putting the uh, timestamps. I can see him doing it. And he just put LGB and then click on the <laughs> bunch of letters after that, which is true. Um, so the, the idea here is that uh, they, the, if you work for a university, you can't ever talk about LGBTQ. If you're outside, then you can. If, the, if they work for a university, they can't talk about LGBTQ, that also does not mean that they support it. We have to be clear on that. Just because a person is silent, there may be a limiting factor. That doesn't mean he supports it. So we have to make that clear too so that we don't oppress somebody. What's the question, Ryan? Where? Al-Yaman. Ali al-Yamani? What'd she say? Al Yamama, yeah. You think it's that? You think that's what you mean? No, no, that's a different person. Uh, yeah. Al Yamama, that is a uh um it's a city, right? Uh, and it's named after a city or something. Why does your beard look trimmed from the sides? Because I trimmed it from the sides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's permitted for us to trim it from the sides. If your parents tell you to divorce your wife, what does the Sharia obligate you to do? The parents cannot tell you to oppress another person or cannot tell you what to do with your own property. Or your own, not that woman's, oh, that's not going to be a good <laughs> clip, right? For example, they, they do not have the right to tell you what to do in your relations. Quit your job, right? Divorce your wife. Sell your car. They don't have the right to do that. They can advise you, but uh, they can, it's not binding, I should say. They have the right to say what they want, but it's not binding for you to tell you what to do in your property, in your relationships, and your contracts. So I have a contract uh, at work. It's halal. No, I don't like it. Leave it. I don't think it's good for you. Leave it off. That's advice. If you don't follow it, you are totally fine. Okay? You are totally fine. What if to add to that? They threaten to cut you off or something? That cutting off is invalid. It's invalid. That cutting off is not valid, and there's there's no... Tahrim or Lan or anything upon that. Is it per, is it recommended to do Umrah before Hajj? I would if you're saving up for Hajj, I would not wait put the money on Umrah, save up for Hajj. Alright, we gotta wrap up. Ramadan prep from Ali Mama will cover that inshallah soon. What do you do if your wudu needs to be renewed at Umrah? Oh, that is rough. That is rough. Because you ha- well, if it's raining, you just make it right there. But if otherwise, you have to go find the women's bathrooms, and you cut off that 
Tawaf requires wudu, by the way. So you go and you come back and you continue. Yeah. Well, let's hear the question. Alhamdulillah, on Wednesday, I'm going to show you all the pictures. We went to Masjid al-Fatih and spent from Dhuhr to Asr in Masjid al-Fatih. And Masjid al-Fatih, it's the area of the Khandaq, where the Khandaq battle was, where the Muslim camps were. And there's one big masjid which they made, has nothing to do with the sites. They just put that there for the accommodate the people. And there are seven masajid that are just literally, Masjid al-Fatih is basically smaller than this room right here. And it's not used as a masjid. It's a, it's a masjid, but there's no adhan, iqama. You, you, anyone can go and pray there. There are seven stone mosques, little tiny, or monuments basically. And you can go pray there. And Masjid al-Fatih is a small stone thing with covered on the inside and on the outside there's a little mini courtyard. It's so tiny, you can put the whole thing right here in this hall. And there, uh, alhamdulillah, me and a couple of brothers and some sisters too came with us and some uh, aunties came with us where we spent entire time from Dhuhr all the way to Asr to guarantee us that we got that hour of ijabah. And some people had written their du'as on marker on the stones there, right? which I don't think was a good idea, but it was interesting to see. Right? Uh, remember so-and-so in your du'a. Right? May Allah give life to so-and-so. May Allah give so-and-so jannah. They wrote prayers for themselves in marker on the stones. But it's all stones. And on Wednesday, which is tomorrow, uh, we're going to put the pictures up. And I'll do a detailed, you know, show you what uh, Masjid al-Fat looks like. And to me, it was one of my goals. Masjid al-Fat on Wednesday, and then Thursday night, later till Jum'ah, uh, to be in the haram. Alhamdulillah, that was the goal. And that should be the goal of everyone who goes to Umrah, Umrah trips. So this is where Surah Al-Fatih was revealed? Surah Al-Fatih was revealed after, but that's where the du'a was accepted. At that, in that, that Masjid Al-Fatih marks where the tent of the Prophet was. And it's like a valley. There's a hill here. It goes down. There's a big public mosque where they, they have all the amenities and everything. Then there's, it goes up again. And in between, there are seven monuments just made out of very simple stone. Those seven monuments are the different places where the Prophet prayed Jama'ah with the army. And the top one, all the way at the top, is where his tent was. He had taken the high ground to be able to see the enemy. And that's where he made the dua, Monday and Tuesday. And then he got his answer Wednesday after, uh, between Dhuhr and Asr. Question is, why can't a common man make uh, make taqlid in aqidah you can make taqlid in the furua of aqidah but the belief in Allah and his messenger must be truly from your heart you, cannot, you can't make taqlid on that it has to be truly in your heart okay uh, what about the shafi'iyah he's asking if they bump into a woman they lose their wudu skin to skin with a woman they lose their wudu how do they do Umrah? We'd have to ask if the, sh- if the they have to take a ruksa on that one. Yeah. And I think there's a story of um, there was a, a Shafri Imam and he decided he wanted to do it the Shafri way. Yeah. Make a whole cloth of the Shafri way. Yeah. And then by the time, every single time he would always break it. Yep. Was, then he was just like, he got so fed up because the last time he was like on the last last round. Yeah. And somehow he just bumped into a woman and said, yep. like, all right, I'm doing it by a hanfi. Okay. So, uh, he had to help her <laughs> oh, he had to help up a woman from the ground. See, some people who don't know about this, the, the Shafi'i fiqh holds 
that any skin-to-skin touching with the opposite gender breaks your wudu. Because they, Imam al-Shafi goes by, nisa. The other madhahib goes, nisa. Which means, nisa means you touched for pleasure. If pleasure was sought or derived. Okay? And that touching, at that point, no barrier matters. It doesn't matter if it was skin-to-skin or cloth-to-skin. Okay? Because touching for pleasure can be over the clothes. So, in the Madaki school... A man or a woman's wudu is broken if they touched or were touched and pleasure was sought or derived. That means if you told, let's say, your wife, oh, get, uh, give me a back rub, right? I, I, I got a knot in my back. Massage it out for me, please. And she says yes, right? And uh, if pleasure was sought or derived by you, if your intention was that for pleasure, or while it happened, you derived pleasure, you lost your wudu. So that's the conditions in the Madiki method. Sought or derived. Whether touching or being touched with a ha'il, a garment in between or without. Does the thickness of the ha'il count? It doesn't matter if pleasure was derived. Like a big winter suit. If pleasure is derived, right? Wow. Yeah. If pleasure is sought or derived, regardless. <coughs> and there's touching involved. Okay. So the Shafi though says that any skin to skin touching breaks wudu. So, we're talking now about Tawaf. And for those who have never went to Mecca before, in Mecca, and to a lesser degree in Medina, but mainly definitely in Mecca, there is so much bumping into women all the time. Uh, Unavoidable, to the point that there will be a skin-to-skin touching happening. So the Shafis, I'm sure they end up going with a different ruling. You may end up in in, in a moment of chaos sometimes, where there's an entryway, Right? And then the iqama is called. You will end up maybe praying next to a woman directly, right? So uh, they have to, you have to observe the the right rules. How can I be more hopeful and actionable? Okay, I've fallen into spiral of hopelessness and not able to accomplish anything. All right, this is a question for Haman Moody. Haman, your answer is this. You start, uh, start a regimen of self-talk. Okay, self-talk. Self-talk is very important. It's self-talk about what's going to happen. Right? I'm going to be fine. I'll tell you an example. A guy came up to me. He said, I married a beautiful woman, but she has a daughter. I'm so worried about the stepfather status. Daughters tend to hate their stepfather, right? Isn't that the case? Like the step-parent is always hated. And he's like, I'm, I'm nervous. I say, now your remedy is self-talk. It's to start telling yourself, right? Allah will make it a good relationship. Keep saying that. Keep saying Allah will make it a good relationship. You keep saying that every time you get a bad thought, you keep saying that. Likewise, people who get bills and they get nervous and say, where are we going to get the money? Where are we going to get the money? You're creating a monster inside your head. You should say, open up the bill, say, pay it. Allah will supply the money. I fill up my gas. I don't look and I don't ask. I have to fill up gas, right? It's something I have to do either way. So why would I look at the price and bother myself, right? Go, put it in. Pay. Don't tell me how much it is. Put it in the car, it fills up the gas, and I don't look. Why? I have to do this anyway. What's the value 
of now having a two, 20 second conversation in my head that's just going to produce out of my heart anxiety and spill my mood down that could last for the next 10 minutes or 15 or 20 minutes, right? Because the gas price has gone through the roof. Why go through this? Don't do it. Allah will supply it. Oh, we got a bill for so-and-so. MashaAllah. Pay them. Let them make money. Allah supplies us with more money. Right? So you have to have self-talk that's positive. And if you don't believe in the self-talk, refer it to Allah. Allah doesn't have wealth that he created. How did we get here then? Right? There's been, he's been feeding people for centuries. And animals and birds and fish in the sea. Everyone's been eating. Everyone's fine. Allah will provide it. And you keep saying that to yourself. And then, uh, it's akin to a dua, in my opinion, when you talk like that. All right, we have to stop here. Tomorrow, we will go over the pictures from Masjid al-Fat, and then we will, inshallah ta'ala, take your Q&A. Uh, let's uh, take one final question about ArcView. You want to sign up for ArcView, take our classes. ArcView.org. And as soon as you sign up, you're going to get a, a link in your emails for the WhatsApp group, and you can join the WhatsApp group. Ibrahim Khan, is a wife with risk to a husband? Yes, anything that you benefit from, anything that you receive in your life is risk. Friendship, friends are risk. Being in a good mood is risk. A breeze, a beautiful breeze on a hot day is risk. Someone gives you a date is risk. Someone, when you get married, that's a humongous risk. Because what are you going to do for your spouse and what does your spouse do for you? That's a massive risk that can never be calculated, right? It's a big risk. Uh, can we ask the Prophet ﷺ to make dua for us under what circumstances? So this is asking about al-wasila wal-fadila. And inshallah, one of these days we'll go for, we'll put up the hadith of wasila and the dua, uh, it's called dua al-hajjah. There's two dua al-hajjah. One of them is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the messenger Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and we'll talk about that another day. But it is sound. We already have an episode on it, but inshallah, we could always go through review. Another Titi Ansari uh, question about istikhara. What does the question say exactly? How do you know the istikhara is answered? The matter becomes easy. The, the the doors start opening up. So if I have istikhara about a job, istikhara means I am committed. I've made a decision. But I want Allah to confirm the decision for me. Istikhara is not, I don't know which one to do. Istikhara is, no, this is the one I'm doing. I've made this decision. I want Allah to confirm it for me. Okay? And Allah Ta'ala will make it easy or make it difficult. Make it difficult makes it impossible. Then khalas, you leave it off. Makes it easy, keep going. That's the taysir is in the dua. That you, make it, you ask Allah, make it easy or make it difficult. So if the matter becomes easy, then you know that Allah wants it for you. Jazakumullah khairan everybody. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-lazina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. As-salamu alaykum. Oh
Kolbe shiva, 